There's no barrier to entry for feeling the effects of this. And we've seen that firsthand here. Everyone, no matter how much or how little they know about climate change, is starting to have it be personal and hit home. And it's not going to get better. It's getting exponentially worse every single year. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the In Our Backyard podcast with your host, Jen Galler. This is the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League's podcast, where I discuss environmental issues that are happening right in our backyards. This episode, I talk with Sarah Elamine, who is a progressive senior strategist who is one of the architects of the Obama grassroots movement, playing key roles outside the U.S. White House to pass and implement healthcare reform, minimum wage, marriage equality, gun violence prevention, climate protections, and more. She is currently head of community engagement at Lyft, where she oversees driver, passenger, and local nonprofit engagement for the company. She is also a mom to one and a half year old Julius. Climate change has been a key factor in increasing the risks and extent of wildfires in the Western United States. Wildfire risk depends on a number of factors, including temperature, soil moisture, and the presence of tree, shrub, and other potential fuel. All of these factors have strong direct or indirect ties to climate change. Research shows that changes in climate that create warmer, drier conditions, increased drought, and a longer fire season are boosting these increases in wildfire risk. More than 80% of U.S. wildfires are caused by people, warmer temperatures, and drier conditions that help fires spread and make them harder to put out. With Sarah, we discuss the wildfires happening in the West, effects it's had for her and her family, the correlation with wildfires and climate change, local and statewide action, and what actions you can take on climate change. To contact and connect with Sarah will be in the show notes below, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm with Sarah Elamine, who is a progressive senior strategist who is one of the architects of the Obama grassroots movement. Just starting out, could you tell me where you live and what's going on there right now? Yeah, happily. I'm in San Mateo, California, which is right in the heart of Silicon Valley, about 20 minutes outside of San Francisco. And we have just emerged from 30 straight days of hazardous air and smoke where we couldn't go outside. Wow. Yeah. So could you kind of describe what the pollution looks like with like the smoke and ash and how is this affecting your life also on top of COVID-19 that's going on? Yeah. So this is my fifth year in the Bay Area and every single fall since I've moved here, there's been increasingly worse wildfires outside of the Bay Area and across California in Southern California as well. And every single time my husband, who's a native Californian, says, man, it didn't used to be like this. We never had fires like this when I was growing up. But we've gotten used to, as a family, you know, having N95 masks on backup and having a couple weeks at least each year where we can't go outside because the air is hazardous. This year was by far the worst. And you ask any Bay Area family, you know, families across Northern California, and they will say that this was psychologically, physically logistically the hardest part of COVID for all of us. You know, in COVID-19, we've already been quarantining and the California and Bay Area have been hit particularly hard. But the thing that keeps everyone sane, I think, across the country is being able to go for walks outside. And, you know, kids can't play on playgrounds, but at least they can run around in the green area of parks. And at least you can take a conference call 
you know, you're not at work, but you can walk around the block or you can't be out and about and see friends, but at least you can exercise. For us and for our family, all of that immediately was taken away from us. And to me, I said, you know, many different times, I've honestly never struggled so hard that it felt like COVID, just one thing after another was taken away from us. And the wildfires were just the last straw for our sanity. So it was really tough. And, you know, we've had a couple days where it's been better. Uh, the last two days, it's been healthier. But looking at the forecast this weekend, because fires are all around us and the wind's about to change, it's about to get worse. And I'm not really sure how we're going to get through it. Yeah. And you're saying that this year has been the worst. And so are people around you who are also experiencing the wildfires, are they questioning it at all? Like that it's linked to climate change or I guess their take on this? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, I'll say I'm a mom to a one and a half year old. And so I'm in a lot of the like moms Facebook groups locally, and even some of the moms Facebook groups nationally, but particularly the local ones, I'd say there's three trends. One is that everyone's trying to leave the Bay Area permanently. Mm-hmm. Like they've just seen this too many times now. And my family included, like I spent most of the last three weeks obsessively checking Zillow and looking at housing prices elsewhere that we could move that would be safer. And it feels like an apocalyptic novel to be doing that and to be thinking about where we can go that literally is higher ground and, you know, more precipitation. But there was one Wednesday a couple of weeks ago where the sky was a dark, dark orange. And it was 10 or 11 a.m. And it looked like the middle of the night. And I think that was the day when a couple different things happened. (laughs) One was, you know, to my point about people realizing three things. The first is that they want to get the heck out. This isn't going to stop. The second is that this is climate change. This is the climate. This is climate change related. And the third is that it's kind of too late. You know, a lot of the posts really oscillate between what can we do personally? Can we switch our cars to electric or to hybrid vehicles? Can we recycle better? It's just like existential doom and threat that like Mm -hmm. we've elected the wrong people. They haven't taken action. This is so much bigger than any type of individual action we can take. And I, I think all of us feel really helpless. It's really hard. And I will just say one last thing, which is like, I'm incredibly privileged. And a lot of the moms on the Facebook groups that I'm in are incredibly privileged. And like, even to have the ability to think about moving elsewhere or to propose to my company that I would work remote is so much more privileged than the vast majority of Californians and Americans have. And the effects of climate change, we can really vividly see are, again, going to disproportionately affect, you know, lower income communities and and frankly, communities of color. Yeah, that's so true. And I guess from your like state or local government in the area, have they said anything about what's happening there and, you know, have them take action or do something more about climate change that has all of their citizens wanting to leave or, you know, just seeing the weather outside? Yeah. I mean, I'll just say like, I'm a community organizer by profession. And so it's, part of who I am as a person to watch the news every single day and pay really close attention to it. And I've been doing that through COVID and through crazy presidential elections and Mm -hmm. other cycles. The mental strain of not being able to go outside, not being able to exercise, waking up every morning with a sore throat and watering eyes, even though we had six air purifiers going in our tiny house, working from the floor of the tiny extra bedroom that my husband and I had both turned into an office because I couldn't work out of the garage anymore, (laughs) you know, because we're in this 
crazy COVID arena, but we can't even use the hacks that we put together to survive COVID, survive this additional climate disaster. Like I had to honestly turn off the news. I, I basically never do that. And so I don't actually know what our local elected officials said or did. And I think a lot of families were the same. Like we had just reached total saturation. And, you know, I had a few days where like, I basically couldn't stop crying all day. (laughs) Yeah. And I get emotional remembering them. The only elected official that sort of broke through the static noise for me was Governor Newsom came out to make an announcement that incarcerated Californians are now being given a new pathway to become firefighters. And while that was really celebrated by a lot of people, you know, I've worked in criminal justice as well, and I can understand why that would be celebrated. I find that to be one of the most depressing announcements that could have possibly broken through on a few levels. Mm-hmm. Like we're celebrating this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's what we've gotten to. Okay. Almost like a hollow victory. Yeah. Yeah. And what we need is sweeping aggressive action. And I just, mm-hmm. I'm not sure after 30 days of all being stuck inside during a global pandemic with several days, several dozen days where like the air was actually hazardous, 400 AQI. And one day where it was dark outside during the day and there was an orange haze over everything. Like what else is it going to take? Yeah. Exactly. And it just sounds like so layered with COVID happening as well. And it just makes you wish that they would have taken like all of this seriously, like beforehand. So we wouldn't have to be dealing with like this extreme of problems or like things going on now. And, and so I don't know if you know this, but what's like the environment or the area like after the wildfires happen? The thing that's confusing to me is there's kind of wildfires in all directions. So like north of us, there are fires. Obviously, you know, there's terrible devastation in Oregon. Out in the Sierras, there's wildfires. South of us in Santa Cruz, there were wildfires. So it was like Mm. when we weren't getting smoke from one wildfire, we were getting it from another. I have a colleague who's, you know, family cabin that's been a part of their family and has priceless mementos for generations and generations just burned down this week. So what's tough for me and even keeping track of this, and I think potentially what's contributing to like the crazy gaslighting and the genuine deeply seated feeling of helplessness is like, it's not just one fire that we're talking about that requires cleanup. Like there are fires everywhere on all borders outside of the Bay Area right now. And Mm. I think all the responses are different. I had a friend who's a beekeeper in California and she lost her home and her car. You know, I think her bees and her business actually ended up being okay, but they didn't know for many days. She's living out of a motel. And her biggest critique about the response, not even the cleanup, is that they didn't actually even get emergency warnings until their house was basically already burnt down. Like the emergency warning system wasn't set up to really save them. So I don't know a lot of details of what cleanup looks like. I think we're honestly not really in the cleanup phase yet. We're still right, yeah. We're still in the active fire phase. And these last two days are probably a really temporary respite. Yeah. And you said the effect that it had on just like you personally and your family just having to be cooped up and not being able to go outside. So is California or the Bay Area that you're in, are they requiring that you all stay inside? And no. what? Oh, okay. So this is a good question though. It, yeah. It's a really good question. And I think like, this is part of where the inequities become really stark, right? Like in COVID, in the early stages of COVID, there were requirements that people stay inside in certain ways. And that protected, you know, lower income folks from having to work outside or people who were at higher risk from 
unnecessarily putting themselves at even higher risk by being exposed to COVID. And I think with the wildfires, part of what is really concerning is that, you know, our agricultural workers still were outside. There wasn't sort of like a universal stay inside announcement. And then the type of support that came with the CARES Act or some of the local legislation that there was with COVID. And so the inequities were felt even more intensely. And I think you're going to keep seeing that as climate change worsens and the effects of it are felt on communities. I understand because I work so closely with elected officials, why elected officials wouldn't want to make sweeping regulatory policy when they don't have to. You know, people mm. should have choice and flexibility and independence. I believe in that. And yet, like the folks who have the least choice by definition are the folks with the lowest incomes and the least economic flexibility who happen to be often black and brown and are the recipients of you know, many, many decades and centuries now of white supremacist policies that put them on the outside of our economic growth models. So the only way to me through any of this is really drastic, immediate sweeping action by companies and by elected officials and, and individuals alike. And, you know, I, I know a lot of the, the parents in the Bay Area in particular feel really gaslit by recycling policies as one example, which proclaim to really cut down on pollution and unnecessary use of plastics, but give people a false sense that they're doing something when none of us are doing enough. So, mm -hmm. and you know, I don't know what else it's going to take. <laughs> I know I've said that a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm shocked. Yeah, that was kind of going to be my next question because, yeah, with everything going on, all the different layers and, I mean, people can't really go lobby or, like, traditionally I'd go organize. I guess just my question would just be, like, what would be a turning point for legislators and people who hold this power to actually take action and you know, do something policy-wise that could really change what the world is right now. Yeah. I mean, I think right now it's a race to the bottom, right? I mean, yeah. the flip it so it's a race to the top. I can't totally tell. I, I think there's this intricate web, right, of companies and policymakers and individuals that need to agree on a, on the problem, on the definition of the problem first, mm -hmm. so that we can agree on a set of really bold solutions. And part of what I've seen happening, you know, I work in the private sector now, and I've been really pushing internally for a lot of sustainability policy. And I'm really proud of, of sort of what we've built in terms of our corporate commitments. You know, we've made the commitment to leading the transition to zero emissions and having 100% electric vehicles by 2030. We participated in the carbon offset program for decades. And we didn't do this as like a brand or policy play. We did it because it was the right thing to do. I mean, because our founders really genuinely personally care about this issue. But yeah. I would like to see a lot more aggressive corporate campaigning in general. I don't, I, I don't think that as citizens, you know, we are wielding our economic power where policymakers fail to hold companies accountable. I think that's one thing that has to happen. I think, you know, elected officials are going to have to really look long and hard at our budgets and, you know, where our revenue is coming from and where we're exerting policy pressure. And even in California, one of the most progressive states in the country, we really haven't figured that out, you know, in any way, shape or form. And, and then I think we need to also have an honest conversation about what the negative externalities of some of the policies we've already passed or the approaches we've already taken 
I think, you know, I've mentioned the recycling program already, but it's just gives people a false sense of comfort. And we have really intense recycling and composting and other programs in California that make people feel like they're doing something. And unless those programs are paired with a really strong person driven message that this is not enough, this is the bare minimum. I think folks could be lulled into not understanding the real problem and deep structural solutions and some of the sacrifices we're gonna have to make to help those happen. Yeah, completely. And I guess just on like an individual or personal level for someone who's just at home, doesn't know what to do or actions to take or like, you know, where to start on climate change, but they want to do something. What would you suggest in these times for people to kind of get involved in something or with something like climate change, it could feel very daunting and very like, oh, one person can't make a difference. What would you suggest or say to that? Yeah, I mean, I think you sort of already said this, but the biggest issue with climate change is that there's a huge barrier to entry. Even the term climate change It sounds like you need a PhD to actually understand what should happen and what went wrong and what's still going wrong. And to a certain extent, Mm -hmm. like you do need to understand there is a real barrier to entry in terms of like, it's a really complicated problem with a lot of really complicated solutions. So my best advice would be if at all possible, and if you have the privilege to do this, you know, set aside an hour on your week in your calendar And I know, especially for working Americans and parents, that's a really impossible thing to do between working from home and homeschooling kids and trying to maintain and reclaim sanity. But if you can set aside one hour, at least in the next couple of months, just to do learning and reading, there are some amazing, really simple trainings out there. And I think it's on us as organizers, you know, and I, I give big props to you, Jen, and to your whole team to turn this from being a really complicated, hard to describe set of issues into something that's really simple and easy to digest. And Mm -hmm. if each of us as citizens were to spend just an hour a week over the next two months trying to find the most basic explanations out there, what's going on so we can educate ourselves, I truly think we'd be in a position to better hold our elected officials accountable, We'd be in a better position to better hold corporations accountable. We'd be in a better position to have conversations with our friends and neighbors who might not understand this set of really complicated issues and simplify it further. But, you know, my call to action is like, let's simplify climate change and the set of solutions for each other. Because fine, the barrier to entry on taking action might be really high right now, but unfortunately there's no barrier to entry for feeling the effects of this. And we've seen that firsthand here. Everyone, no matter how much or how little they know about climate change, is starting to have it be personal and hit home. And it's not going to get better. It's getting exponentially worse every single year. And that's just an unacceptable reality right now. Yeah, completely. And just knowing that we still feel the effects wherever you could be, you know, in whatever season. And it's coming. Like if you don't live in California, you don't live in Colorado, you don't live in one of the places where there's been big fires. Guess what? Our smoke is coming your way. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's polluting your air quality for your kids and going to prevent you from going outside too really soon. If it doesn't this fire season, it will next fire season. And if it's not fires, it's going to be droughts. And if it's not droughts, it's going to be extreme weather events that involve snow and tornadoes. And so like every single part of our country and our world has already and will increasingly see more extreme versions of the sort of bipolar weather that they already experience. And it's going to ruin our food sources. It's going to ruin our quality of living. It's it's going to ruin our health. It already is. So don't be fooled. Like if the fires aren't your current poison of choice, like you got one coming. 
Yeah. And it's just kind of all interconnected with like the environment, health, the economy, you know, it's, it's all of our backyards when it comes down to it. Yeah. Great. And then just my last question is how can people contact or connect with you? Oh yeah. So Twitter is the best way. My Twitter handle is Sarah, S-A-R-A underscore E-L-A. So Sarah Ella. And I'd love to connect with folks and, and talk more about this important issue. And I'd love to also, you know, hear about your experiences with climate change and extreme weather. Maybe you live in California or Northern California or, or Oregon or Washington, and you lived through this last month of sheer hell, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're in another place and you're seeing it play out differently, but it's affecting us all. And one last ask, if you find really great simplified resources to explain climate change in ways that are accessible to the average person, please send those my way too. I'd love to elevate those to my Twitter following and help us all do as much education as we possibly can. Thank you so much to Sarah for talking with me about the effects the wildfires are having for you and your family. I'm going to link some resources for actions people can take on climate change, articles on the relationship between climate change and wildfires, wildfire alerts and how you can prevent wildfires in your area and tune in next friday for a new episode and have a good week everyone